I was pointing out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. Welcome to the Inklings Variety Hour, where fans and scholars of C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Charles Williams, Owen Barfield, and others discuss their works and lives. I'm Chris Pipkin, and I've written a convoluted and weird Christmas play about the Inklings featuring time travel. If you haven't listened to the first two parts, go ahead and go back and do that. We'll make this part a lot less confusing and hopefully a lot more fun. Uh, They're not long. So in order to teach me a lesson about nostalgia, the ghost of Charles Williams has taken me back in time to Christmas 1923 and Christmas 1933 to eavesdrop on Tolkien, Jack, and Warney Lewis. During this third and longest part, we'll overhear a conversation between Tolkien, Jack, and the living Charles Williams in early January of 1944 as they discuss lampposts, almost get in trouble with an entirely fictitious Constable Herod, and follow a star to a strange adventure filled with poetry. Enjoy. Let us journey a decade on to the beginning of Hillary term, January 1944. The Christmas holidays have all but ended, but they have brought further troubles rather than any sense of relief. Everyone in England is fasting, both food and light, despite the Christmas feast. Let us join Jack and Tolkien as they make their way from Lewis's rooms at Maudlin to the Mitre Inn. Well, at this point, Priscilla is humoring me, I think. The Father Christmas letters probably should have been retired five years ago. I'm writing them more for myself than anything else. Nostalgia, perhaps, for happier, more certain times. You must let me see them sometime. They sound marvelous. Just my sort of thing. I think I should be embarrassed to show them to grown-ups. That's what you said about The Hobbit. And you said yourself that children are more demanding audience. Well, they are more demanding than most grown-ups, because most grown-ups refuse to take a children's tale seriously. They are not more demanding than you. Or you, I think. It's clear to me that this third ransom tale is not for you. Well, I think it could be very good, but I'm not convinced by it. But it is good to see you again, Jack. It's been weeks. Yes, my life, as you know, has been a succession of urgent duties. Constant letter-writing, RAF talks, BBC broadcasts. And my own mother continues to feel quite poorly. I was nearly unable to meet tonight. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I am glad to have 1943 behind us. One of the unexpected blessings of this war has been the ability to really see the stars at night, or even during a hard frost. Do you suppose these streetlights function anymore? (laughs) I hope not. I've made my opinions fairly clear about these mass-produced electric lampposts. The gas ones were bad enough. Would you have preferred bioluminescent trees? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't anyone? Street lamps seem a pale mockery of that myth. The silver apples of the moon, the golden apples of the sun. Ah, hello, Charles. Wasn't even certain that was you. I say, I had hoped you'd be joining us tonight at the Mitre, and here you are, suddenly, just as I was wondering what you'd say to tollers. Time and times, you know, one really must admire the clockwork of the omnipotence. Oh, but one creates clockwork precisely because one is not omnipotent. The omnipotence creates the trees, the stars. Well, let's have it, Charles, though I prefer the stars. I confess a fondness for streetlights myself. They are not, I suspect, incompatible with myth. 
Do you think them ugly and soul-destroying? No, beacons of glory, beacons of victory when we light them again, not only here but in all places. When they again blaze forth, a feast of light will follow this interminable advent. Spring and Christmas will crack long winter's ice, and the lion and the blood will roar through the mouth of creation as the lions roar that stand in the Byzantine glory. (laughs) (laughs) Told you, Tallers. I wrote something quite a while ago about the world tree, Yggdrasil, and the bark our fingers clutch is iron railing to the touch. The modern world only seems mundane. I agree. The robot age puts most into an enchanted sleep from which you, Charles, seem to be safe. But that does not change the fact that to most people, mass-produced machines are ingenious means to cheapen ugly ends. We live increasingly in a world of our own making rather than gods, and the reasons for our making are utility and distraction rather than beauty and contemplation. These lights reinforce an illusion that man is at the center of the world, a world tailor-made to suit not merely his needs, but his moods. Yes, uh, the mirage of self-sufficiency grows and deadens our soul. It is far stronger now than it was even ten years ago, despite the war. I fear we may be living in the final days of humanity. Perhaps the soul within us will simply fall back asleep, and we will exist as beasts as in Kurdi. A descent, surely. But mightn't the opposite process also be possible, and all the more glorious? A bestial soul awakening from selfish pleasure-seeking, from moral, intellectual, and aesthetic sleep. And we emerge to see, at last, the stars. Oh, but my point is that these Glory beacons of yours dim our terrestrial eyes to the stars under which we might awaken. Perhaps you're right that lampposts will become beacons of our triumph in this war one day, but the heavens always proclaim the eternal glory, the glory that outlasts the small and passing shades of war. There is piercing light and high beauty out there that cannot really be dimmed by shadow or lamp. But if we blot out the real with the artificial, mechanistic mass produced, I too fear that we will lose something far too essential. But you know this already, Jack. You've made a special study of the heavens, after all. What's that Milton line in the first Ransom book? Happy climbs that lie where day never shuts his eye out Out in the broad fields of the sky. But the very ending is what I like. Mortals that would follow me, love virtue, she alone is free. She can teach ye how to climb higher than the sphery chime, or if virtue feeble were, heaven itself would stoop to her. Amen. I understand you both more than you think. The tragedy for me isn't the arrival of electric lights, though, or bombs or the engine. Do you think they can compare to the dolorous blow, to the breaking of the round table, to the fall of Camelot and the conquest of Byzantium? Or the fall of man. Or the death of Christ. But yes, I think they can. It's a new kind of fall, of ignorance, of alienation. There's more of a gap between us and the rest of humankind in terms of our habits, preoccupations, manners, than there ever was between Christians and pagans. The Christian and pagan views have more in common with one another than either shares with the modern man. It's all due to the ruinous influence of our thought of hellish, noisy progress and chronological snobbery. We think we shall one day rise to the stars and become gods, but it is precisely through that hope that we have lost them already. They no longer order our days or thoughts in this mutable... Ahem! Gentlemen, I believe we've been joined by a fourth friend. Oh dear me, not this fellow again. 
Yes, I'm afraid it is this fellow again, my man. Hearing every little word you've said, too. Right, you three, move along then. Let's get inside where it's nice and safe for civilians. I'm afraid I don't understand, Constable. Is there an air raid taking place? If so, I should report to my ARP. No, if there's an air raid on, you do it, my man. New orders about loitering in public places. Can't be too careful. Who has given these orders? We've heard nothing of the kind. You bleeding intellectuals and your questions. My point is, you'll get inside if you know what's good for you. War is no time for milling about, putting your life at risk, whilst talking about stars and trees and other poetic trash. Say, just where are you lot coming from? And where are you going to, I wonder? There's new blood at the home office. Sensible types who don't take kindly to secret meetings at night, gawping on about Byzantine glory and that. Sounds a bit like something a fascist might say. Our business is our own, good fellow. There's no rule that I'm aware of against being outside, only against having lights on. And that's another thing. What's all this talk I overheard just now? Don't deny you're saying it. You don't like streetlights. You want this bloody war to go on forever? You want the Huns to take over? If the Germans won, they'd probably put in even more streetlights. Better to keep an eye on all of us. The Huns threaten civilization at all times and places. Attila cracks Gaul in Milan in this moment, as the Mongols overrun Kiev, the Vandals sack Rome, and even Byzantium falls to the desert tribes, crying, Allah il Allah! But does the king exist for the kingdom, or the kingdom for the king? Now, less of that sort of treasonous trash, you little monkey. Don't you think I understand your clever little code? Right, my lad, I'm arresting you on suspicion. Suspicion? Suspicion of what? More guff from you? Suspicion. And that's good enough. I'll take you as well, all three of you if I need to. I apologize for our conduct, Constable. We've just come from my rooms at Maudlin, and we're on our way to the Mitre. Oh, of course, of course, I see. A pint too many, is it? Well, no real harm in that, I suppose. Though I never touched the stuff myself. All right, on your way then, the three of you. And let this be a warning. We'll go back inside straight away, Constable. You have a blessed night. Oh, that was strange. I've had unpleasant encounters with that policeman before, but he was more troublesome than usual tonight. Did you see he was about to strike me? And what did he mean by new orders? It was jarring, wasn't it? But so long as he wears the colors of the city, he may serve a higher purpose than even he knows. His power over us extends no further than law and custom allows. Well, it's a good thing we had planned to go to the mitre anyway. Not far now. How bright Venus is tonight. I could almost believe your myth about it, Jack. And I've always preferred your own storytellers of the Arundel, who sails the heavens with the Silmaril bound to his brow, the morning and evening star. A star made from the two trees, turning our minds and the minds of the elves back to a past that cannot be recaptured, but perhaps guiding some voyagers beyond the cruel curve of the mortal world. I say, look, it really does seem to be moving. Do you both see it? I'm afraid not. My vision, you know, even with spectacles, the stars have been a blur to me since I was quite young. Jack, I do believe you're right. I'm flummoxed. Perhaps that isn't Venus at all, then? Well, it seems an adventure of some sort has come swimming right into our ken. Shall we allow it to make us late for dinner? Let's take this aventure, come what may. Yes, let's. Though I have a feeling that we shall find something rich and strange. Where does it lead? It's almost sunk beneath the roofs and spires at this point. Let's turn down parks here towards the garden if you have no objection. Try to get away from these buildings. 
Lead on, Jack. I say, it is cold, though. Are you ready for our part in this strange pageant? What do you mean our part? Are we supposed to observe and record but never interfere? What would the point be of that? You know, they can get a new perspective or a change of heart. Start with a change of clothes. Here, put this on. I feel silly. Am I supposed to laugh like him, too? This is no laughing matter. If you cannot play your part in this mask with due obedience and solemnity, I'll find another initiate who can. I'm no one's initiate, Charles Williams. But fine, I, I would like to see what happens. Good. Take these two. Here's what you'll say. Let us go a journey, quoth my heart to my soul. I shall thrive never on the world's dole. Past the streams of cleansing shall a house be found where the peace and healing for my aching wound. Well, that is lovely, Charles. Let us hope it's prophetic. My old wound bothers me so much in this weather. Well, do you see it anywhere? Perhaps it was a very slow shooting star? Or perhaps some new German devilry. I confess I'd hope for a benign invasion by Venusians or, or Martians. I don't think it was the Germans or men from outer space, but I confess I am almost re relieved to have lost it. I had the feeling it might lead us to something dreadful, something deadly. It is strange. I had that feeling as well, but I've always felt I prefer to have the danger ahead than behind my back. Well, no true adventure is without peril, but dangerous or not, we've lost the star or planet or whatever it was. There are only houses up ahead now, but I say. I thought it was my eyes playing tricks. You see it too? What is it? Looks to be one of the streetlights next to a small house, one I don't recall having noticed before. Why should it be shining when all the others are out? It'll draw bombs to it like moths. Oh dear, that explains my premonition. We'd better go find a way to put it out. Can't take chances. If it's the only light shining in Britain, it's quite likely some German pilot somewhere will home in on it. Or the good corporal back there will find whoever's responsible and arrest them. Is it my vision, or does the street lamp seem... Blinding, yes, but then our eyes aren't used to it. Who is that standing there? Do you see them as well? I'd half hoped it was an illusion. I only see one, and he looks like... <laughs> <coughs> ho, ho, ho! Father Christmas, whomever you are, you need to come away from that light. You don't see the other figure there with him, then, in the hood and chains? Hello there, Mr. Williams, Professor Tolkien, and Mr. Lewis. Uh, I have parcels for you all. Those aren't the lines I gave you. Sorry, just a bit nervous. <clears throat> the time draws near for an exchange. Enter beneath the lantern light, becoming for a moment strange, receiving crown and gift and sight. This light's unearthly. Seems as if I see the two of you tricked out in kingly clothes, bearing bright diadems upon your brows. And you as well. This is a dreadful place. There is a house there I have never seen behind that specter beckoning to me. I see no specter, yet I sense something within this house, both homely and sublime. The hopes and fears of all time are in some behind the door, beneath this lighted tree, whose dreadful power to reveal grows from the endless head, the eternal three, and he whose day is past and passing, and to come. I am not ready to pass through that door. Nor I, despite my sudden starry crown. Nor I, despite my sudden royal robes. Now, take these gifts and open hands and bear them to the gift within who, like a child, all things demands, including us and all our sin. And thus his just domain expands invisibly in every heart by spirit 
yet by self controlled. Come, Charles, first into your part. Receive this gift, the cup of gold. This chalice is as heavy as a corpse. I cannot bear it long. I will assist. These chains have made my ghostly sinews strong. Together we will carry it to Christ. As you command, I cannot hold this cup nor raise it to my lips, but through that door shall place it at the feet of one who can. Next, surnamed, self-named, jack of every genre, servant of all and mastered by the one, uh, go-between, high things made plainest sense, but rising still, your gift is frankincense. I'll add this borrowed incense to the cries already voiced by babbling infant tongue. The son of man in prayer on earth and heaven throughout his life and all time for us each and always present to us, that's to say, he intercedes in his unbounded now eternity, inviting us to join. All priests and prophets do proceed from him. Haste now, go in and see the dance that undoes each misdeed, and makes all new continually, before whom we can only plead for mercy on the world and me, but with this hope. To intercede is why he entered history. He prompts your prayers and will accede. I go with due solemnity and joy to lay my burden and take up his yoke and learn once more to listen and to pray. You've learned, Tolkien, that any gift can only be received by those who freely give despite the swift approach of death, which some suppose they could prevent through hoard or thrift. Death too is gift, and it will come for you on finishing your work and giving rest. Take this perfume released from wounds beneath the burk of myrrh trees meant for the tomb. My work? It won't be wrought in full by death day, will it? Dreams I've had so marvelous, which must be set in words before I westward fare. Such dreams go ever, ever on, and cannot be in full expressed. They are but bright reflection of him who will bid you cease and rest and trust to resurrection. It is for you no easy test. The sweet smell of submission will season death and make it blessed. The cradle child I cross to see will take this gift together with all my ability and lend me grace, my goals and ghosts to yield. Now, farewell travelers. Go to find the satisfaction of all hope and more, all debts that... <laughs> <laughs> What in the world was that? That was almost as bad as a musical. Seems I fell under the ghost of Charles Williams' spell after all. I suppose he can be rather mesmerizing. Now I know how Balaam's ass felt. Hello? Charles Williams? Charles Williams' ghost? Isn't it time for you to come tell me what I learned and take me back to the, uh, the present? Am I trapped in January 1944? They're not coming out of that door. I'd go in, but I'm not exactly dressed for a nativity tableau. And I don't have any gifts left to bring. So I'll just stand underneath this streetlight, I guess. Spooky out here with just this one lamp shining in the whole town. I wonder if the Germans can see it. If they kill me here, do I just wake up in the future? Or do I, you know, I should have known this podcast would be the thing that did me in. Hey, can anyone hear me? Is anyone? 
Just what is this? Just what is all this, my lad? Here, who put you up to this, lighting a lamppost somehow and standing under it shouting, shouting in father bleeding Christmas garb? All while our country's at war. You can see me then? The whole bloody continent can see you, lad. You're the only streetlight in the nation. You think that because you're a Yank, the same rules don't apply to you as every to as to every honest British citizen? Now answer me. Who put you up to this? It was a ghost. Now then, my lad, I suppose you must think you're awful funny dressing up as what you Yanks call Santa Claus and talking about ghosts. You do know Christmas is over, don't you? Actually, it's Epiphany now, which is when, which is when we take suspected spies, even suspected spies talking with an American accent and wearing bizarre red clothes, what's out of season, and we toss them in jail and question them. How's that for an epiphany? Ow. Hey, ow, quit that. Don't I have the right to remain silent? It's war time, lad. You have a right to tell me who put you up to this jiggery pokery. I told you. Ow. It was a ghost. And I told you. I don't believe in. Don't forget to set your clocks back or you'll... Oh, double drat. Wrong place in time again! Oh, a ghost! You you just get back now or I'll... I'll... Wait, sir! Can you direct me to 19th century Yorkshire, sir? Ghost of Kathy, man, am I glad to see you! Charles Williams' ghost left me standing in the middle of Oxford here in early 1944. Oh, it's you again. Sorry about breaking into your house earlier. That was embarrassing. Let me check on something for you. At least I can do. Yes, it looks like Charles Williams' ghost has been released from his Christmas past duties. Ah, uh, well, I'm happy for him, I guess, but it leaves me in a bit of a Samuel Beckett writes Marty McFly situation. I don't know who any of those people are, and I don't care to. Don't worry about it. Hey, you couldn't help me out, could you? Look at me. I can't even help myself out. We're both more or less stuck. I guess so. Though... I think Charles, if he were here, would say that's exactly the point. It's not possible to tell whether people in the past or future had it worse or better than we do. But what we can do is take part in their work and they in ours. Your problem isn't strictly yours, it's, it's mine as well. We're given knowledge of the past, not so we can yearn for better days and reject our own burden, but so we can participate in this same battle, each within our own small jurisdiction, each playing our own tiny part. All is the work of Christ in this church throughout all time and space. And sometimes we can even assist each other through prayer at the very most and least. Even something as futile and discouraging as grading papers can become a vehicle for grace. This is all most interesting to you, I'm sure. But you're saying you could help me get to Heathcliff, right? To the time and place I'm supposed to be haunting? I'm not sure how, but I think I could. Uh, maybe if I just yell coherence loudly enough, something will work out. Yes, well, do what you think is best. In the meantime, I'm going to go haunt that officer from before. I'm not sure what it is, but something about his rudeness and vague fury at everyone in society appealed to me. What's that infernal noise, anyhow? I, I think it's an air raid siren. Qu quick, duck and cover! I don't need to. Already dead. Though you're not. Not yet, anyway. Looks like there will be a new ghost of Christmas past soon enough, though. And you've already been shown the ropes and everything. I call that providence. Perhaps I, too, am here by another's design. Uh, for sure you are, but uh, I think it's so you can help me not die in the Blitz. 
Meanwhile, let me use my knowledge of literature to tell you that Heathcliff's probably not worth your immortal obsession. Aim a little or a lot higher. You have a doctorate in literature and that's the best you've got? Guess higher learning's really fallen on hard times since my day. I'm a medievalist. So what are you doing in the 20th century? Oh, very well. What you said before about helping people in other times is pretty good, so... Uh... Ah, there's no time! The German planes! Air raid! Air raid! Look, if you just stop running in circles, I could... Ah! I am caught by the morning and I am a ghost. Oh, thank goodness. All a dream. It's only 3 a.m. Good old Charles Williams. He did it all in one night. Well, Merry Christmas, students. They all get A's. Oh, Pipkin. I'm pretty sure that's a bad idea. Their descent from primitive consciousness into analytical thought is a necessary step towards redeeming language in this humanity. Oh, dear. Owen Barfield's ghost, I presume? At your service. Allow me to take you to the future to see how grade inflation keeps the collective human consciousness from evolving as it should. Maybe next time, Owen Barfield, it's Christmas. Why not just join me in a carol instead? Of course. If by carol you mean dance. You are aware of the word's original meaning, aren't you? Not sure if even I am that old school. Don't worry. I'm quite spry. And so, we leave our protagonist as he attempts to follow the ghost of Owen Barfield in merry measure. Has he solved civilization's problems? No. Has he discovered the true meaning of Christmas? Unlikely. Has he changed the past and possibly caused an air raid in Oxford that never happened, thus endangering the past lives of his literary heroes and threatening the space-time continuum? Difficult to say. But... Has he come to an important insight about his own nostalgia and our interrelatedness with other souls? Time will tell. Join him in March for season four of the Inklings Variety Hour and decide for yourselves. All right. Well done. Thank you all. And that's all we have for you. Thanks again to Serena Higgins for reading the part of Charles Williams and Charles Williams Ghost and for sharing the talents of her author's circle with me. Thanks to Ed Powell for playing C.S. Lewis again, and to Joe Hoffman for once again being Tolkien. Please remember, we're not actors. This was basically a table reading rather than anything we rehearsed. If you enjoyed it, feel free to reach out to me at inklingsvarietyhour at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Have a merry last day of Christmas, and may your epiphany season be full of revelations both pleasant and profound. See you in March! But all the clocks in the city began to whir and chime. Oh, let not time deceive you. You cannot conquer time.